and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's your favorite Mexican-American Gemini from South Texas. It's Chibi. And she's the lipstick-loving Salvadorican from Brooklyn, New York. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Write Art Out. What up, Rooster? What up, world? How are you? Salute. Oh, yes. Rooster and the world. Uh, Rooster joining us this week because Rocky is on a well-deserved vacation. Uh, A little jealous, but uh, still excited to have Rooster joining us this week. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. Happy National Poetry Month, friend. Happy National Poetry Month, which also happens to fall during the same time as uh, San Antonio Allergy Season Month. Uh, But only one of those is going to kick my ass this year. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be National Poetry Month. Okay, <laughs> I'm excited to kick it off. Um, what What are your plans for National Poetry Month? Absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> I refuse this year to do 30 for 30s. Um, I'm gonna have a couple shows. Obviously, uh, you and I are doing a couple, uh, some workshops, a little light stuff. But uh, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna kill myself this year. I I don't know. Like I just end up with like 30 poems or massive amounts of work that are just not hinged in any sort of way, and then I maybe get one or two or three out of them, which is great. But then I just kind of feel like I would have done better just napping. So <laughs> yeah. I I can appreciate that. I I just wrapped up uh, a workshop that I was giving. Uh, wrapped it up last night, and you know we were talking about National Poetry Month, and I was like, y'all. No pressure, you know, a haiku counts, okay? Yeah. If all you crank out is 17 syllables in one day, then God damn it, be proud of it. Not uh, yet. Go right on ahead. Haiku, I mean, I yeah, I guess it, it's, it's, it's National Poetry Month and even just celebrating it is fantastic, in my opinion, for, uh, you know, I don't want to call them non-poets, but, you know, the casual fan, uh, because, you know, it's sort of a... Uh, uh, illuminates poets who maybe they didn't know about or uh, poems that may resonate them at this particular time in their lives, who knows? Uh, So that's excellent. But then for poets themselves, it works in this sort of uh, inspirational time of we get to celebrate ourselves, we get to like show love to each other uh, way way more than we already do. Uh, But we get to to see what other poets are doing and be inspired and to to really uh, uh, love uh, the time, the season that is us. Yeah, and the the thirty for thirty challenge to me, like I I just see it as an exercise. You know, I think in my <clears throat> thirty something years of life, I've completed it once, um, but it I, it's just a, a nice little exercise and a way to kind of like you were saying, like celebrate poetry in general, celebrate other poets and seeing what they come up with. And yeah, if I at the end of this month have one piece that I feel proud of, I consider that a success. You know. Yeah. Uh, and finding new ways to just continue to like inspire, be inspired, right? Um, quick uh, plug slash shout out to Write About Now, who does a um, a thirty for thirty kind of writing prompt thing every day. They're dropping ten plus poetry prompts to help inspire poets uh, to write something. You just have to be a supporter of theirs on Facebook. So shout out to that. Um, and then the other thing that I'm really excited about is just to like. Like okay, so you got your MFA in creative writing. You you you've been in the weeds of the literary world, but I am only now exploring form, mm-hmm. and I'm really excited about it mm-hmm. and what form can do. 
Yes. And, and discovering new forms uh, that just crack open. Sometimes it's like a puzzle to try and put them together. And sometimes the poem just naturally wants to be a form. Like I, I am really excited to get nerdy about poetry and form. Yeah, you've been, you have been emailing me quite regularly with like new poems. <laughs> Rooster's like, stop that's, emailing me. <laughs> all exercises in form. And I'm like, yeah, man, like go ahead. I do, I do really love when people find form because I feel like poets, any poet who is worth their salt, in my opinion, they tend to find form at one point in time in their careers. Um, they tend to, to find a form that really speaks to them. Maybe sometimes it's just as simple as sonnets and that's fantastic, but they're just like, oh my God, I'm going to just write everything in sonnet form now. Or they tend to, you know, haikus. Um, they, and then even greater still, you have poets who, who then, uh, study form, learn a form, fall in love with a form, and then decide to completely like break form and like invent new ways. Like I really, like fingers crossed, it, it, maybe it'll never happen. Maybe it will, I'll put it out in the universe. I just wanna create the San Antonio haiku that's like 21 syllables for Tim Duncan, but I doubt that <laughs> gonna have to like way too many syllables. But either way, I'm just putting that out in the universe, the San Antonio haiku, 21 syllables, Tim Duncan, we love you. It's it's happening. And then the other thing is to, to uh, like when you discover, because I think uh, form has been pigeonholed a lot into at least what we've been taught, you know, European form, form of the West, right? And then when you yeah. start to discover different poetic forms that happen in other languages um, and in other cultures, it's just completely opens up what you can do uh, when you take a form that it was made for a different language and then you put it into your own language. Um, and our, uh, our guest tonight has done that rather successfully. I'm super excited. I can't think of a better way to start a National Poetry Month than with our guest tonight, which is uh, Josh Nguyen. Josh Nguyen is a bisexual Vietnamese American writer, a collegiate National Poetry Slam champion, and a native Houstonian. He is the author of the chapbook, American Lukba for my mother, which just launched like two days ago, and has received fellowships from Kundiman, Tin House, Sundress Academy for the Arts, and the Vermont Studio Center. He's been published in a slew of presses and featured on both the Versus podcast and Tracy K. Smith's The Slowdown. He is a bubble tea connoisseur and works in a kitchen. His debut poetry collection, Come Clean, is forthcoming this fall from the University of Wisconsin Press and was the winner of the 2021 Felix Pollock Prize in poetry. He is a PhD student at the University of Mississippi where he has also received his MFA. He has more crew neck shirts than Trevor Noah has hoodies. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Wynn. Hey. Glad to have you on, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm wearing my V-neck, you know, I have crew necks and V-necks and today I felt very V-neck to the, you know, the weather and I wanted to breathe more under like the lights and camera and the action. But before I start, I noticed that y'all are talking about San Antonio and Chibi's wearing the shirt. I don't want to start anything, but I do have oh, wow. a, a bunch of Rockets jerseys, you know, we have oh. Steve Francis. The franchise, love it. We have uh -huh. We have more Elijah on. I love uh, it. You have Yao Ming, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we don't have the T, the T Max coming. But oh, it's well, I don't have a T Mac. I couldn't get, I can't get a T Mac. But the last but not least, you know, it's kind of sad right now to talk about, you know, but you know, James Harden. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
Okay. Okay. Actually, this is a good place to start with the Harden jersey because what we like to seriously, I swear to God, because we like to ask people who come on the show, uh, uh, "How's your heart, friend? You are a friend. How is your heart, James Harden?" Is balling in Brooklyn. How is your heart right now? How are you? My heart. Well, I, my heart goes. I'm happy for James Harden. I think you know he did give a bunch to the city of Houston, and I think he did carry a lot on his shoulders and in his beard. And he gave a lot of good memories. A lot of great um, people. A lot of people came together in our in our playoff runs. Um, it hurt that he left to Brooklyn, but he had to do what he had to do. What he felt was right. Um, maybe he missed his best friend, Harden, who knows? I'm not Harden, uh, Kevin Durant, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my heart for Harden is good and hearty. Um, my heart right now, personally, and it's been a mix. Like, I, you know, there's been a lot of, like, heavy, heavy stuff going on against, like, you know, the anti-Asian American, uh, the rise of anti-Asian violence in the, in the nation, especially against, like, Asian women. So that's mm-hmm. happening. So I've been thinking about that a lot, but also been like trying to balance with like kind of going outside of, you know, I I usually write poetry, but I've been trying to branch out to short stories that I've been interested in just because like, it's a great vehicle for my humor, I think. So right now I'm trying to balance like, you know, keeping up with the news and like having a heavy heart, but then also like writing humor and like short stories and kind of escaping into into that narrative. so that's how my heart's. That's how my heart is right now. It's kind of trying to balance both and trying to still be an academic and like you know being like a full course load. Um, <laughs> but and also thinking about like uh, like books coming out, like the chapbook and the book in the fall. So I'm trying to balance everything right now. So it sounds like a little all over the place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I think a lot of us have been in the past. I mean, at the very least, the past year, if not much further than that, you know, just trying to find some balance in the chaos of the world, but also celebrate, you know, where we can and find joy where we can. Well, we're excited. We are joyful about this conversation that we're going to be having. And I'm really excited to hear the work in uh, your chat book. Um, But before we dive into the actual work, um, we want the audience to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, You have some fans already. There's a lot of woohoo, Josh. um, Viet love in the chat for you, Josh. We are V blessed. um, (laughs) Very much so. So it sounds like you got some some fans already, but for people that are getting to know you for the first time, we're going to kick off with a segment called Speed Dating, and we're just going to ask you a series of questions. I'm ready. And you feel free to answer as concisely or as in-depth as you feel is necessary to justify your answer, okay? Okay. And you you will be held accountable for your answers. I'm ready. ready. I wore the V-neck for the heat, so I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So first question. only because it's National Poetry Month, we're on this. Your chat book explores an entire form. What is your favorite poetry form? <sighs> Yikes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Off the bat. Um, I think right now, actually right now, I've been working on, I submitted a poem for workshop, and it's a it's a broken sonnet crown. Mm-hmm. And the sonnet crown is like, you know, the it's like 15 sonnets. Yes. Um, and like the last line of the son- of one sonnet goes on to the first line of the next sonnet and so on and so forth. Yes. So I did a, a half, I did a broken one recently I turned in just cause I wanted to do 
almost like a uh i did like a conversation between like two different personas and it was kind of centered on like hurricane harvey mm-hmm. uh, and like um like salon workers in in asia town in houston uh so just thinking about like the sonnet itself um i know it's like very <laughs> a very easy go-to answer but think about the sonnet crown itself and how like when i think of sonnets there it's a very easy like way to think about like form as a container and how like mm-hmm. i feel like oh, real quick i write this out i think about this all the time because i was a biochem ma- major so if you don't know there's this there's this formula pv equals nrt it's okay volume equals moles rate times temperature or something but basically uh whenever so the p and the v are inverse so whenever your volume decreases your pressure increases and therefore your temperature increases so when i think about the sonnet and how like small it is i think about how like how that pressure is building because you have to contain in such a small way and therefore mm-hmm. when pressure increases the temperature the heat of the poem the momentum can increase absolutely so the, the sonnet and how like that's like a good example of trying to create like more heat in a poem mm. keeping it contained i it is uh very apparent that we are dealing with a phd candidate at the moment <gasps> this is ah uh, yeah mm. uh, that is both fulfilling and mind-blowing and i am loving the the nerdiness of it and there is nothing easy about a sonic crown you you know like don't dismiss it thank you okay next question uh, you already kind of talked about the Houston Rockets. You and I are both uh, <laughs> all fans. We even had uh, a bet a long time ago on Twitter to do push-ups when the Spurs oh, yeah. rock. That was awesome. So my question is, do you have a favorite unsung Houston Rocket? Um, my gut says um, Shane Badier. Shane yes! <laughs> Uh, because like he was all about one, he was so intelligent. He would like study Kobe Bryant, you know, RIP as like like as like like a textbook. He would like study his his opponent so well. And he was all about defense. Um, I really love playing defense uh, when I play. So like Shane Baddy was a good is a good one to think about. Also, I think um, honestly, like Gerald Green, <laughs> Gerald Green. Yeah, he's from Houston. Uh, and I think that he's been like traveling across the NBA a lot. And so when he when we had him in his hometown for a bit, it was great to see him play for the city that like that where he grew up in. And he'd see you could see the pride uh, in his in his face, and like it was cool to see like the I forty five tattoo on his on his shoulder. So I yeah, Shane Battier and Gerald Green. Yeah, Shane Battier jerseys were like those jerseys that if you saw someone wear it, you knew they were a Houston Rocket fan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yo, that's a deep cut, but it's it's legit. I, I totally applause <laughs> for that. I like that. That's a great mm-hmm. answer. I'm still uh, processing the whole I-45 tattoo because, like, I-45 is the last thing I would celebrate. <laughs> the last thing. <laughs> but props to the person whose name you just said. <laughs> Clearly not a basketball uh, person. All right, uh, next question. Um, this is my favorite question because sometimes it it's it's a very straightforward answer and sometimes it's complicated. Uh, what is your favorite dish? Uh, dish Network. No, I think my favorite dish. <laughs> is a network of dishes. No, I think 
my I it's funny. So Tuesday when the chat book officially was on sale, I went on I took I did a Twitter takeover at Bull City Press Twitter. And I did my my favorite Vietnamese dish on Twitter, Tip Ka, which is like the opening poem as well for the chat book. Um so Tip Ka is like my favorite Vietnamese dish. And I think I love it because one, it reminds me of like home and like my mom and grandma making it for me. But also, like, when I moved away, it was like, the first thing I, I learned from my mother. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it was just like, it's such a cool recipe because it's all about the preparation. Like, mm-hmm. when we were making it, uh, my girlfriend mentioned that, like, it was it's not even that hard to make. It's just, like, all the preparation beforehand. Like, you have to, like, do the eggs and the marination and the peeling, like, the night before, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's all about getting like everything ready for like the final execution. Mm-hmm. Um, I love being prepared. And I love like organi- being organized. So I love that dish. And um, isn't that poetry too? It's all in the preparation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get the line and the line. You got a stanza. Uh-huh. You got a poem. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I can already tell this is going to be a really nerdy hour. I'm so excited. <laughs> I know we already got the deep, you know, Joe Green cut. We got science. It's it's where <laughs> there's a trajectory to this that I'm already loving. So shout out to everyone watching because you are going to solve quantum mechanics in this. In this I love show, it. The show. Yes, and it's day one of National Poetry Month. We are going to nerd out. Yeah. Um, final question. Um, I've I've seen you ever since you were like a kid in the poetry scene. And you've always been one of the nicest people I've ever met. Just always like nice, always friendly and stuff uh, to get along with. So my question is, if you were a super villain, (laughs) what kind of hideout would you have? Hideout? Yeah, what would your lair be like? All right, so I'll tell you an alter ego of mine. So um, I'm, for the time, like five years, probably undergrad, I was really into poker. I even played like underground poker in like a, in Austin places. Uh, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, 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 allegedly. And um, I used to study the books, and I would like watch videos all night. I even like uh, taught my. I was an RA, and I taught my residents how to play, which is not allowed to do. You're not allowed to do. Um, so I think my hideout would be like in a casino. Probably, like because casinos are very like hidden. They have very hidden rooms in general. So you, I could see myself like you would go to like um, go to Nugget in Lake Charles and then go to like the casino floor and you have to like roll a certain number on like uh, the roulette table and open like a lever to open like the door in like another room. It's probably a casino. All right, I dig it. I like it. I love it a lot. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that that concludes this <laughs> round. We're learning so much already. I'm excited uh, to, to see where this goes. Um, to everyone who's watching, please show some love in the chat. Ask questions. We'll definitely try to get to them. Uh, but right now, we're going to switch switch gears just a little bit, and we're going to have Josh share some of his poetry with us. Josh, if you would, please do us the honor. Thank you. For sure. Thank you all. So yeah, my chaplet that came out on Tuesday is uh, called American Luke Bot from my mother. Uh, American Luke Bot is a form that I took from a traditional Vietnamese form called the Lukbat. Um, but that form in, Vi- in Vietnam, in Vietnamese language, is very specific to the language because 
you know, Vietnamese is a very is a poly is a monosyllabic language. So every word is one syllable. There's also like seven different tones. So there's a bunch of tonal shifts. Um, so I took that form with its all of its rules and I converted it for the English language. Um, so I'll open with one of the American loop bots in the chat book. It's called store overnight. Marinate means patience, means fish sauce soaking in between leftover pinto beans that the customer beans back in the kitchen with that lean white mom Sunday brunch bean temper. It means, oh, come ye old tempera still in the back of the fridge. Come time, come soak, come slog, come wet, come brown, come all, come spice, come quicker, come rice, come thick slice of enticing, come, my love, my joy, please come. When you're ready to come, please come. So we were just talking about my favorite Vietnamese dish, tit call. So it's only fitting that I read that poem. It's the opening poem of the chat book. Um, this is actually the oldest poem in the chat book. I wrote this in like 2016. Um, and I read it for the first time in 2017 at my first Kundiman retreat. If it wasn't for reading it at that retreat and getting like the affirmation and love there, this chat book would not like exist. So shout out to Kundiman. Uh, tit call. Miles away, I forget to peel the eggs the night before. Miles away, I forget to buy the special brand of coconut juice. Miles away, my mother is laughing once I swallow my pride and call. It will never be quite the same, she says. Just try your best and finish your food. When you buy fish sauce, you must remember to wrap it in newspaper. If the bottle breaks in the car, the stench will haunt you long after the car is compacted. She tells me that it's okay to cry because the eggs still aren't hard enough. I am blessed to have a mother who talks about death, who knows her mortality. I imagine my mother's passing. I know she won't have enough grandchildren. I will have added too much pepper and not enough oyster sauce. It's called simmering for a reason. The house smells of coconut. Braised pork and hot rice, rice cleaned thoroughly. Between the sounds of the blue flame lies an emulsified telephone cord. Our recipes will never be quite the same. We both wear gloves to peel eggs. When I cook for my mother, I know she will lie. So this is another American Luke bot in the chat book. It's called marinate using fish sauce. If you don't know what fish sauce is, it's a very Asian Vietnamese, like very pungent smelling uh, sauce that you can use to marinate a lot of things in. Um, it's like one, it's like the staple ingredient for uh, the tit call recipe. So marinate using fish sauce, American Luke bot. When I open the brand new bottle, the new management burns down the door. You can't use that here. You have caught the next door neighbors in a hex. I see them bear witness through their nostrils. They're not used to this tingle, this tooth that wiggles above their tongues. They fall and dissolve. In the hall, they shout, kick, 
beg for mercy out to white angels who part the sky in half for rain to cry its cleanse onto July, to wash away the fresh fish sauce from my lips. Let me hawk and spit vicious tang on my shit neighbors. I will sip one last gurgle and break the flask of Viet potion fast against the ground. Witness a hole burn the floor in the way I start to season a dish and their mouths will flay open. All right, so I'm gonna read some poems from actually the forthcoming, my, my forthcoming debut collection that comes out in October, Come Clean. Uh, I'm gonna read two poems from there. This first poem, since we're talking about form, this first poem is a mirror poem. Uh, and it's called, Wisconsin has a place in my heart. I just want it to let go. Thomas tells me that trauma is trite. That to open up wounds is to bleed yourself out. Snow in Wisconsin blocks the front door of my cousin's house. In the north, the foyer has stairs up and down. The basement in broad daylight is a gray sky. A groaning fly by my ear. The only other noise besides the flinching of my arms. My cousin's breath heavy on my neck. Heavy on my neck, my cousin's breath, the flinching of my arms, a fly by my ear. The only other noise besides the basement and broad daylight is the sky groaning gray. In the north, the foyer has stairs covered up and down in snow. Wisconsin blocks the front door of my cousin's house. It opens up wounds. Bleed yourself out, Thomas tells me. Trauma is trite. Uh, this next poem. Uh, so I think it was y'all's talk with John Sands and y'all geeking out about Pantoom. So I figured I would read the Pantoom from uh, my collection. Uh, it's called In Praise of My Threaded Eyebrows. And it's after Amy Nizuka poem, In Praise of My Manicure. In Praise of Thread, Doubled and Twisted, a helix love affair between beauty and pain. Tension of pulled skin, friction in the form of heat. Praise the two hands which grasp my hair's execution. Not far behind beauty is pain. The tension of pulling rows of caterpillar legs from the dirt. Using the hands of gravity's air to perfect execution. The monarch leaving its chrysalis behind. Farewell. Caterpillars resting below the acne of my forehead. Hello, shiny sleek queens arch with a crown full of crystals. Behind the throne, a curtain made of nylon, yanked apart across my forehead. I fall in love with a yellow sleek queen trimming the hedge above my nose, curtailing made from neon. Yank a part of my body on the edge of the salon, stretched, trimmed in the hedge, and before I know it, there are parts of me that see again. The edge of the salon outstretches its arms, doubled, twisted, helix love of praise and thread. All right, so I'm gonna switch it up again because I was talking earlier about uh, the Chibian Rooster, about like how I've been doing sh uh, short stories to like kind of get my humor out there and kind of balance out like the heaviness of the world. So I'm gonna read a quick, 
a condensed version of a short story I'm working on. It's only one page. Um, it's called Request Form for a New Ghost. Account number 00198491101. First question of the form. What issues are you having with your current ghost? Emma is fine. She does the usual ghost stuff like standing in the corner of my room when I wake up in the middle of the night. She understands that my bladder is the size of a three-year-old. She doesn't hover too much over my body because she respects the boundaries we have set together. She reads the room well. She also is consistent in her spooky wardrobe, black and white Victorian clothing. I also think she takes care of my windowsill plants whenever I'm not in town, though I do think she overwaters them. My Goya plant always seems a little too firm when I get back. However, the other day, I went downstairs to grab a toaster strudel and I found Emma sitting on the floor with her upper torso sprawled out over the stairs, sobbing into her arms. The sob she was producing sounded like a cat threesome under a pickup truck. This disturbed me. I've never heard her wail like this before. So I crouched down next to her and waited to see if she would open up. I pretended to caress her back even though my hand went right through her. Eventually, she looked, up, she looked up at me with her lifeless blue eyes and told me that she had been crying for the past hour because she looked at my Twitter profile and saw the Twitter argument that I was having with at Chief Kiefer Sutherland about the rise of violence against Asian Americans. She told me that she couldn't believe that someone could be so ignorant with me and that she was so frustrated that she floated back and forth through the wall between the living room and the kitchen trying to recount all the ways she might have been racist towards me or other Asian Americans. She kept moaning and yelling things like, I just feel so bad, I feel so bad. I'm, am I a bad ghost? I don't understand. Emma even signed up for an online allyship workshop for other ghosts, which is cool and good intention, I guess. But now she stands next to the shower curtain while I'm inside and tells me everything that she learned about the plight against people of color in the US. Did you know about the coolies and the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act? She asked me recently. I said yes and continued getting soap out of my eye. Do you know about the gold rush? It's horrifying. Second question. If we were to assign a new ghost to haunt you, what preferences do you have? Ideally, I would want a ghost of color, Asian American or Asian to be specific. I know that Asian American ghosts are not as prominent, probably because of the model minority myth. I feel like an Asian American ghost would be able to connect with me on an ancestral level. They would be able to scare me way more efficiently. Instead of jump scares every time I turn a corner in my house or sloppy messages of blood on the wall behind my mirror, an Asian American ghost would just sit legs crossed with their shoes still on at the floor base of my bed and say nothing, just stare. And every once in a while, they would, they would whisper things like, you would never rid yourself of the generational trauma passed down from your parents who fled during the Vietnam War. Or your parents love your sister more because she's a doctor. I imagine some psychological cubic horror type stuff. I mean, I have nothing against Emma or other white ghosts from your company, but I think an Asian ghost would understand my sense of horror better. It's quite unexplainable. All right, so the last thing I will read is a poem from my chapbook again. Uh, it's I wrote this poem because I, I there's a struggle I had about 
taking the traditional Vietnamese form and then adopting it for the English language and whether like, I don't know. I was really worried about like being like uh not like a not like a race chair, but just like ashamed for like trying to uh appropriate, you know, an old or the traditional Vietnamese uh form and you know try to convert it for the English language. Um and I and I I felt I really focused on this form in this chapbook because it was a way for me to bridge um, a connection between me and my my family and me and the traditional literary history of Vietnam that I don't really know of, right? So there's a lot of personal reasons of why um, I delved into this form, and I still, but then I still I do understand like the violence of calling it American Lukebot, right? It's like the American in, in the form name itself is, you know, there's a lot of historical, you know, violences that come with that. Um, so this is a poem that reckons with this struggle I have internally. Um, it's called A Failed American Luke Bot Responds. And thank you for listening to my set. How much of me must be written before I am just another bastardized item? My accents will soon leave the letters to float away across another ocean. Find them in Texas or Mississippi. Find them, other, find them under outstretched tongues, broken down by enzymes, spit, and fast food. A form can starve to death, you know. If the libraries burn, who will think of me? How many queries until I find home? A Gracian urn devoid of my ashes, can I burn enough ink for you? Can I be read from fathers who don't speak, who find love in Vietnamese fantasy, in warriors trying to find their way home? Oh, monosyllabic birthplace, can I self-colonialize self myself? Be the fusion the world doesn't want to see. It is written, therefore it exists in the third generation. The father's father, the father, the author, and now me. In between self-hatred and self-actualization, I exist, so who will abandon me first? Who will shun me beneath the floorboards? You or myself, the author or the border, the home broken by war or the broken home by the bayou. Shake the soul out of me. Yellow secret blending in with all the carbon, suckle slurped, whispered, incensed by the head knee mourners. A mother will not ask what happened. Instead, she would take the white headband at my funeral and burn it with incense until the Holy Ghost cries shame. Thank you. Yeah. Applause, 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 applause. The crowd goes wild, y'all. The crowd goes wild. Thank you so much for that. That was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's there's so many places we can we can go. I love how your work has this quiet is not the word controlled intensity, and I think it goes back to kind of like what you were saying earlier with 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 the with the 
equation and then in yeah. you know the science of it right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there's this very intentional controlled intensity that i love about your work um uh both the way it's written and the way you speak it um so we, we i definitely want to dive into the book i want to dive into the nerdiness of it all uh but i think we should start at the beginning okay because yeah. like rooster said earlier you know he's known you since you were a kid like literally, you grew up in poetry, all right? I had bangs at one point, the Justin Bieber bangs. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Bieber, Josh Wynn bangs. <laughs> um, so you were on a Metaphor Youth Slam in Houston. You went to Brave New Voices. Then you were at the University of Texas, the Spitshine team. Uh, mm. You can, you won, your team won at Cupsy. Like literally uh, grew up in the poetry circuit shall we say. Um, but I heard that you were on track to become a dentist. <laughs> so, you know, like, where did that, that switch, both the switch from dentistry to poetry, but also the switch from like slam to, you know, MFA PhD life. Like where, where did that happen for you? <laughs> yeah. So the longest time since most school, I thought I was going to be a dentist and it, it was a way because I thought, you know, it would be a good life and I wanted to like make my family proud. And they, they even put pressure on me to be a dentist. I just knew that like they wanted me to be successful financially, right? Um, so long this time I was going to be a dentist, I was ready for that. And then in middle school, I met Outspoken Being and the fluent one at the downtown Houston Public Library. And it was for like a use. Actually, back before that, my... I, this all starts from my ninth grade English teacher, uh, Miss Simmons, because she had a poetry unit, a poetry month, right? Probably in April. Shout uh, out to English teachers. Shout out to English teachers. Miss <laughs> uh, Simmons did the poetry month, and she made a, a, a mock slam, like, in the auditorium of our high school. And she was like, if you participate in this, you'll get extra credit. So I did it. And then I got second place in it of a really bad poem. And but then I learned that we learned that the first place poet plagiarized her poem. <gasps> so really, I won, and that's why I was sent to meet Bean and the fluent one in the downtown Houston library. And that's how I got involved in Metaphor Houston. So yeah, for the lot for like high school, I was every summer I would do like the poetry workshops with Metaphor Houston and do the whole team thing and go to the Brave New Voices or like a big youth slam. And then in college, I was like, okay, I still know people in Austin at UT who would still do spoken word with me. I'll join their team. I'll still be part of the Austin community. And I still thought it was just gonna be like um, something that like, I didn't put a hundred percent of my focus on. Cause I didn't think, I, honestly, I didn't think I was good enough. Um, mm. But then during college and like falling asleep in biology class in the front row, <laughs> I realized that maybe that like uh, my passion isn't in dentistry, but I kept trying to do both. Honestly, I kept trying to hustle and do both. And then after my senior year, when I was studying for the DAT, I retook it. I was applying to dental schools. And I got in an interview at some school in the North Northeast. And when I got that, I was like, this, when I got that email, like, this doesn't feel right. Like, I'm not excited. Mm. Um, and then I went to my favorite restaurant in the world, Waffle House. And I went, <laughs> 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 
we're gonna revisit that but <laughs> with my friend my best friend tony and he was like i asked him like what's something you learned in college and he said to not lie to yourself mm -hmm. and that was really big for me at 2 a.m over a waffle and i was also listening to this song uh called because dreaming costs money my dear by mitski who's a big influence in my my book coming out in the fall and the song is about like following your dream though it might hurt your parents your family mm -hmm. so those things were happening while i was thinking about my future and i was just like you know mitski and tony and waffle house they're all right like i should be following my passion i just don't know where to start because i didn't have a liberal arts you know um undergrad degrees so i didn't know where what my next step would be but then luckily because of the spoken word community my friend julian uh who was at cupsy with me a lot he was here at the university of mississippi in the mfa program and he kind of recruited me and told me all about it and like this in the mfa program is kind of it's very small and it feels like its own like spoken word scene uh, mm. as like the small known closeness of it the warmness of it so yeah, and then I I applied. I had I had I think I had a week to apply. So I okay. I, I drove to my friend Sanjay's place, Sanjay and Vivian's place in Dallas. I need to get away. Mm -hmm. I spent the whole like week just like applying, like filling out my my uh my uh, letter and then my work sample, and then I got in, <laughs> and then yeah, and now I I've I've talked with enough people and I learned from enough teachers and professors like the process of pursuing like writing full time and I, i'm confident in it and i'm still it's been like you know i feel like being a writer is just like buying time and hustling mm -hmm. i've always part-time jobs like even now i still work part-time in the kitchen to pay off like submission fees right yeah. as capitalistic as that is i that's what that's my that's my path that i chose for myself so yeah that's i think the transition was from from dentistry to, to poetry was just figuring out like writing was my passion. And then from spoken word to like academia was just like, I've been, I've been booed before immediately. I've gotten like 2.7s for a poem. I can handle like things in like an academic setting. It's things I want to learn, honestly. Like I love most of these classes I'm taking. Yeah. Uh, I, just, I, I had a class today about Lucille Clifton. It was awesome. So. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing: you're 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 in a PhD program now, so you, you're gonna be a doctor. How proud Whoa. are your parents? Whoa! Looped around to become the <laughs> <laughs> still gonna be a doctor. You know, like how how's how's that PhD life treating you? How's your 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 parents that wanted you to be a doctor? You know, feel about it? Like what what is that like? I think my parents are my parents. I don't. My parents are supportive. Or at least indifferent. Either way, it's still very loving. <laughs> Even if it's indifferent, I know they still love me and make support. They're happy about my my chat book. My mother was really thrilled that mother was on the you know the cover. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, and they're excited about the book in the fall. So I think they're they're seeing the trickulations of like the patients uh, coming to fruition. Hmm. Um, but yeah, PhD is wild because I finished the MFA last year and that was three years and it's my first year as a PhD and I feel like there's a lot more pressure to know things and to talk in class, hmm. which is which is I mean which is fine. I but it's still like um, I feel like plus 
since it's the same program, I just transferred into the PhD part, all the teachers know me. So there's a familiarity where I kind of like gauge the cues of the, each professor and know what not to say or what to say. But they, I think there is like this, I, I still think that like, because they're familiar with me, they know I should talk and like save mm. the silence and stuff. But it's been cool because I mentioned that like, I didn't take a lot of English classes in undergrad. So honestly, like my first semester, my MFA here, I was like wrecked. I was so like sad because I wasn't, I was adjusting to like the new town and like the new academic setting. Like my first, one of my first classes at the end, I like had a breakdown. Uh, I was like intense, like imposter syndrome. Like, why am I here? Why am I here? Um, I don't you know. It's like, I can't do this. But then I, I learned uh, every day to wake up and just be like, like this is what you're you you're destined to do to to write, and you have like the like the pri you have like a privilege of learning things you want to learn. Mm -hmm. um, so every time like I go into a class, I know that there's a good chance I'm learning something new for the first time, and it might be old to someone else, but for me it's new, so it's exciting. So I'm excited to learn, which is like you know I was falling asleep in like biology classes, so the fact that I'm just excited to learn is like what keeps me going whenever I get doubt from like the imposter syndrome, like mm -hmm. deep in my head. Cause like, just to kind of keep going on this just a little bit, cause I'm kind of curious, I wonder, and I, maybe you don't have the answer to it, but like not focusing on literature in your undergraduate study, like I could definitely see where there, that clash would happen in an MFA program. But at the same time, I could also see how that could potentially save you from burnout. Cause like, mm -hmm. I know a lot of students who when they're undergraduates, like they think they're hot shit, like, <laughs> It just happens and it's interesting because like you know a lot of times undergraduate writers they want to sound like the poets that they read and a lot of them are canonical and it's all this kind of mess and then they come into an mfa program and like you said like they have a hard time with rejection like what do you mean this isn't good it's like right. you're trying to sound like wordsworth and he's been dead for a long time you know, <laughs> what, you know what i mean like so you came in with fresh new you know like you said outspoken being and fluent who are brilliant and like this kind of I guess newer take. So I guess by circumventing uh, uh, literature and poetry as an undergrad, do you think that maybe helped a little bit, or you know? I think it. I think the science background helped me be very analytical when mm -hmm. it came out to like analyzing poetry and trying to break it down and like it's like chemical components and such, like stoichiometry, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, but and I also think that like I did feel. At first I felt like, wow, what am I gonna contribute to this class? But then knowing that everyone had that traditional canonic, most people had the traditional canonical like background. Um, I knew that I was able to like bring a different take. Honestly, just from being like probably a Vietnamese person too. Um, but yeah, different take on like what this poem from like a dead white poet could mean to me or what and that was like, honestly, that's like a very, that's another like exercise that like has helped me through this program is like how to find some benefit from canonical stuff I would never read. Like yeah. how can it benefit me and like, how can I extrapolate something from it? Um, so if it teaches me to do something I don't want to do, that's like a benefit for me. Right. Um, I spoken word like the slam scene helped me with rejection a lot 
Because <laughs> if, if there's one thing that happens a lot in the slam scene is you fucking lose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like to get like um like even and it kind of translates to like submissions, like submitting to journals and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I know a lot of my peers and friends from like not even my program, but other programs or other places, like they they they're nervous about submitting to journals. They're nervous about putting their work out there. Mm -hmm. And I'm lucky enough to where I've been doing that with my whole body and voice. Mm -hmm. On like so, a major level, like brand yeah. new voices and Cubsy are no joke. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're big, like, you know, the crowds, the pressure, like, and then the talent. I mean, you just see so many other young writers that are like you who are just killing it. So like, I can totally relate to what you're saying in that, that sort of way that it kind of demystifies the, mm -hmm. the uh, I don't know, like MFA programs have that sort of like almost like rigidness or coldness and stuff like that. And it's like, look, old white man, you can't like reject me anymore. And it like hurts my feelings. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm numb. <laughs> I, I was listening to an interview with, uh, with Mecca, uh, Mecca Morphosis um, out of Baltimore. And she was talking about, you know, Cupsy versus Nats and how like, yeah, there's a different level of intensity when it comes to like brave new voices and cupsy because everybody is there and is there is fucking there. Whereas like sometimes at Nats, there's some teams that are, I mean, they're there, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, they, they, it's, it's different because especially with the youth, there's a lot of passion that goes into everything that they do. You know, like when you're young, you like throw your everything into it and you're not going to do something if you don't believe in it, you know? So I think uh, growing up in that poetry community is definitely a plus. I'm hella jealous of everybody that got a chance to grow up in that poetry community. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, because, I, yeah, same with Rooster. Like, we didn't find out about poetry, spoken word slam, until much later in our lives. Uh, mm -hmm. But whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's get it. The cool oh, thing is that. I a question. Hold on. So keeping with this kind of, so you mentioned comedy and sort of, and, and humor in your work. And it's kind of interesting uh, just because you don't know this, but you have written like arguably my favorite, one of my favorite poems of all time uh, called After I Was Mistaken for the Stripper While Delivering Barbecue <laughs> Party, which for reasons, uh, <laughs> like one, I love long titles and what a title. Uh, two, one of the best opening lines with, if I had a stripper name, it would be Pork Loin. Brilliant. Um, and I'm then still, I'm still keeping that. Yes, yes, I'm I'm happy to hear that. Um, and then it it the, the interesting thing about humor, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, and I'm interested how it kind of translates from slam to academic writing and where you're at now in your process, because you mentioned even creative writing, where how humor kind of works to to be uh, accessible to the reader in a little bit in, in some ways and sort of disarm them. But at the same time, you have this talent to just like get heavy and get deep and very sort of um, with a softness as well, but still like, you know, pressing these issues. Cause like, that's a heavy poem. Like those people who need to look that poem up, like, we need to put it in the chat or something later. Cause it's, it's by the end, you're just like, oh my God, like this is no joke, but this way with it where where it's 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 awesome so i just kind of wanted to talk to you on like why humor why is it accessibility is it just something that you you just feel more comfortable with like yeah i think um the humor humor in my poetry kind of reflects how i kind of live life to where like 
I am so even if like I feel heavy or sad, like my kind of defense mechanism is to laugh it, like laugh it off. Like if something like to ask any of my friends if something like wild happens to me, I'm, I might just like laugh it off. But like I'm still like hurting. Um, but I think like humor in poetry for me is like a way. Yeah, it's a way to like break the ice and it disarms the reader. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like a way to kind of uh, welcome the reader in before like slapping them with the waffle from Waffle House or something. Like it's it's a way to like um, that. I guess trick the reader. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, but like you know, when you watch stand up comedy a lot right now, I feel like there's a lot of hybridity in like stand up comedy sets of like comedy and like personal uh, narrative and oral story. The way like you can disarm with laughter, and then. That since you already disarmed the body and like the emotion, all your emotions kind of open up from the floodgates, so that later on, if you do need to cry about it, it might hit harder because mm -hmm. you've already been disarmed. I think about like, I think Fleabag does that a lot, mm -hmm. even Fleabag or the show Atlanta. Like, there's like so many funny jokes, and then it's mixed with like very sad, sometimes heavy moments that just hit really hard. And, and then you have like this very surreal, absurd feeling of like, I was just laughing, but now I'm crying. Like, what is this like mix of emotion? Oh, this is being human. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, definitely in like poetry, I use it as a way to disarm, or maybe I think I used to use it to hide behind stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to get away from that now, like the hiding part of it. Mm -hmm. I think it's too. It's 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 an entry point, not just for for the writer, but also for the for the audience, for the reader. You know, as a way to like allow the reader to to be part of the journey. Whereas if you come out just swinging, you know, from the gate, then sometimes a reader immediately like just pushes off, right, and doesn't want to be part of this conversation. Versus if you kind of like draw them in a little bit, then they're like, oh, okay, let's see where this goes. And they're like, oh, shit, I didn't expect it to go that. Oh, fuck, I got to go do some soul searching now. <laughs> it gets them invested in the poem in a way that like, like Chibi said, if you just come hard out the gate, like not only is it just kind of like they may have like an aversion to it because it's heavy, but it could be triggering. And it's like, time out, you know, let me not listen to this and miss it. But I think that's something that you, you've done really well in it, like specifically with that poem, because by the end, I'm like, oh, damn, like... <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, everybody go look it up everybody go look it up after i was mistaken for the stripper while delivering barbecue to an all-white bachelorette party okay i think the we offing. might have a huh that's the offing uh the offing journal yes there you go. Okay. i think there might be a link to it somewhere we're gonna look for it and okay. drop it in the website too. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> let's get into the weeds about this new book all right okay. so we were talking about form earlier um <laughs> And there's multiple questions yes. with this new book. There's a lot. Yeah, look at him looking all profesh on the back cover. That is an author photo right there. Yes. Damn. That's yes. the thing. It's like you got that weird, like, do I got a shoulder problem? No, I'm just looking cute. It's, it's, it's also a V-neck. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this one is, it's, it's the trend of the V-necks. It's your signature, okay? Yeah, if I ever see you. My <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if I ever see you reading at, at a poetry event or competing or what or lecturing at a university <laughs> and you're not in a V-neck, we're gonna have problems. Um, <laughs> but so you talked a little bit about the form, right? The Lukebot, that's a traditional Vietnamese form um, mm -hmm. that you then conv 
converted, adopted. There's so many different words that we can use for this. And they, I, I think you were kind of touching on it where like a lot of them feel wrong, um, but you, you adapted it. You were able to find a way to use that form with English, the English language. So one, can you, for anybody who doesn't know what a Lukebot is, cause I definitely did some research on it. It's brilliant. Um, <laughs> can you explain what a Lukebot is? And then two, what was that process like to, to, trans to morph this form to work for the English language or to make the English language work for the form, whichever one it was. Yeah, so the traditional Vietnamese Lukebot, um, it was used for a long like verse poems and it's usually one stanza. And the thing is, yeah, so Vietnamese is a monosyllabic language, which is important because the rules of the Lukebot are very, very strict where it's uh, it's a uh, six syllable line, eight syllable line, six syllable line, eight syllable line, and so forth. But then the six syllable line of the first line has to rhyme with the six syllable of the next eighth syllable line. And then that eighth syllable has to rhyme with the next six syllable of that six syllable line. And that six syllable of the six syllable line has to rhyme with the next six syllable. Yeah. so. So the internal rhyme in this poem keeps changing. It's not the same internal rhyme. Um, and it's it's not easy, but like it's possible to do with Vietnamese since everything is one syllable. Right? You don't have to worry about like uh, polysyllabic words, like fuddling up the line. And also in the Vietnamese Lukbat, there's a pattern with the tonal, with the tones, because Vietnamese is a tonal language. And there's seven tones um the you know the accent marks on the letters and those have their own pattern within the lukebot too so when i was like okay so here's this form and it's in a language that's like mine but not really because i can't speak it that well i'm not that confident writing a lukebot in vietnamese and i was thinking about how like when i came when i came to this form was when i was eating dinner with my parents at a asian restaurant in houston it was like the first time that I had a com it was like I had a good not good but like it was a it was a good thick conversation about literature that my parents kind of initiated and like it was the form they grew up with. Mm. And I saw that as like as a bridge to connect like between me and my family and me and like this Vietnamese literature tradition that I don't know much of. So I basically just took the rules and adapted to the English language where it's still six eight six eight. But, you know, and still the six syllable rhyme with the next six and the eight and the six. It's just you just use polysyllabic words. Um, and there's no tone, there's no tones in the English alphabets so that's out. Mm -hmm. And then another rule is that um, every time there's a line break, the, uh, the, the, the rhyme pattern can start over. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing about adopting the, the form to English language is that because I'm using polysyllabic words, the internal the internal rhymes are, are sometimes more subtle, mm -hmm. and to flow and like not be too like spoon fed like the rhyme itself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that was that was my process. It was re and they're really hard to edit since like if you change one 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 line, it changes like the rest of the poem. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, and then most of them most of the poems kind of are centered around the concept of like food and recipe, right? Mm -hmm. and it's interesting this kind of concept of like 
recipe as ritual in a way. And and I guess my question is, did you always appreciate like cooking food that was like cultural to you or is it just something you've grown into as of late or like? I think I grew, I grew into it when I went to, when I, when I moved to Mississippi because I knew that my mom couldn't cook for me anymore. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Real talk, real talk. Yeah, I don't go to Mexican restaurants outside of like San Antonio. Like, fuck that. Yeah, like, and I got so, and like three or four Asian restaurants in Austin, Mississippi. And uh, but yeah, so the first thing I did was I asked my mom for the tip call recipe, mm-hmm. and I think I I think there's like a. I think in Asian American poetics, I think food can be seen as like a common way of like expressing like a connection with family or culture or customs. And and because I think it's because like in a lot of Asian American households, like there is a lot of silence. Um, but I think at the dinner table, it's been like silence is unbroken. And like, there's actually like a communication happening, even if it's by through eating and it's a way to show love. I do, I think for me, when I write about food, now I'm trying to like focus on the labor of it, especially working in a, in a restaurant in the kitchen. Mm. Like I'm trying to remind people that like food is love, but it's also labor. And it's a lot of hard work, especially depending on like um, your socioeconomic status and like where kind of food you're making. Like it's a lot of preparation, right? We're talking about that. So I think for me, the re- and so one of the reasons why I used the Lukebot in this chapbook in particular is that like the traditional Lukebots was used for like narratives about a warrior, like trying to find the way home, for example. Mm-hmm. There's always like, a journey to f- kind of go home. And so the, the form itself for me was like, the food is a way to remind myself of home, try to get to some home, even if I'm far away. So I thought that content fit well with the, with the traditional uh, themes of the Luke bot. That's beautiful. So, yeah. And I love this idea of like food, food is ritual, food is a concept of home, food is labor. It's especially nowadays where it's like, can we find like some sense of, of normalcy, of, of grounding in something? I think mm-hmm. cooking is one of those uh, aspects of life that just kind of like centers you, right? Where it's right. like, it's just you and the ingredients and the fire and like just, just make something of it whereas you can push everything else that's happening out of your life to just kind of like focus on the cooking you know and the and the food and then you have that instant quote unquote instant depending on how long the food takes to make uh gratification of like the finished product you know like here it is and now you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor as it were mm-hmm. so i love and, that and there's like that pressure if like like i work in a kitchen so there's definitely pressure there to be fast and efficient, but there's also the pressure just like cooking for someone else, mm. that like labor of love and like what that pressure can do to someone. You <laughs> 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 can fail or you can succeed. Yeah. So the uh, the book uh, kind of is described as a bridge between the East and the West while still questioning kind of like US imperialism and assimilation and all of that. Um, and while it's kind of our our duty as writers, you know, and also as as hyphenated individuals to act as a bridge, do you ever get tired of just being a bridge? 
you know, thinking about bridges that you're always getting walked over, right? Um, right. Uh, but no, I think uh, I think I've thought about it more with this chapbook in particular because I had I remember when I was I was talking to my friends of like I don't want like I don't want like um, non-Vietnamese people to not like it, I guess. Mm because it's like too like foreign or something, but also didn't want to let down like Asian people and Vietnamese people. So if any, yeah, so I think being a bridge for me just means that there's like usually two body, two, there's two like um, eth ethnic bodies that I'm trying to not disappoint, which is like, um, sometimes I'm like, nah, like I'm not trying to write this for you, right? The audio, like that idea of like who your audience is and then there's the other side of me that's like, I want everyone to love me. I want everyone to like, like my writing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think being a bridge can be tiring. And I think it could be fruitful when like, I mean, I when, I when I figured out like how to bring this form for the English language, I thought, I was like, oh, this is like, this is a connection. This is like a building block for something. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, just in general, like in my regular life, I think, I don't know, I think I'm very aware of my hyphen, my hyphenness being Asian in America, especially like right now in these times. And I think being in like Oxford, when there's not a lot of Asian people, I'm definitely aware of it. Um, so I think it's like this thing that, that mix of like uh, hyper visibility and hyper invisibility and when to mm. stick out to like kind of be silent and like hidden and like bouncing mm -hmm. out when to do which or whether to get rid of either of those ideas and yeah no bridges. <laughs> yeah bridges yeah i i mean like i can definitely relate as a mexican-american individual and like i guess it's interesting especially I, I guess my question is now because of like the rise of anti-asian like sentiments and hate crimes that have been atrocious and happening like does it make the work that you're creating now and sort of being this bridge, like, I don't know, more, give it a, a greater responsibility, like now that it's out in the world, like, is there more that you want it to do? Cause I do know that you also recently uh, were like selling copies and then donating to causes and stuff like that, which was awesome. Shout out to you for that. Like, I don't know how, what is your feeling towards that as an artist and like, this is what I can contribute. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I think whenever, when, I, uh, whenever like stuff like this happens and if it like, if it's like my particular, like if it, if I can see my, if I can see myself in the news when it says like Asian or Asian American, I always find myself wondering what can I do in my position? And there are so many other great like people and activists and writers who say amazing things. And I just kind of retweet them. because I have no idea how to articulate what I'm feeling. Hmm. which might just mean I just need to do more work on that but I do think that like I always try to look at the pragmatics of things and like so I think yeah financially because of you know how we live I think money is important especially when like tragedies happen so yeah I want to like two weeks ago I said like if you buy the, the copy straight from me I would donate all the proceeds to like two orgs that help the victims of the families in the Atlanta shooting hmm. Um, so that was like a way of like trying to, um, shed light on the situation and somehow like physically help like whatever 
physically help the the scenario and and to like try to be at not be at peace but try to like be okay with what i can do to help and mm -hmm. sometimes like you, you sometimes you have to be quiet and let others speak and sometimes just like retreat their stuff and if that's the case then try to figure out you know the more pragmatic things to like to contribute so i think my right now um i do i think my my, my right poems now when i read these poems i think i'm very i do am i'm very aware of like um how it might have more intensity or more meaning because more people are thinking about Asian Americanness, I guess. Um, and if that's the case, then I am like carefully, like you know, crafting. I guess like my set lists and stuff, and mm -hmm. knowing like um, which like audiences may like be like opposed to certain poems. You know, I'm very, I'm always like thinking about that stuff, and I think I'm thinking about it more now. Better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, uh, again, props to you for doing what uh, you did in terms of like donating the proceeds of people like uh, buying directly from you. Um, if people still want to get copies, it's it's obviously available on Bull City Press. Do you still have copies uh, that you're selling um, for anyone yeah. that's listening? I do still have copies. If you want a signed <laughs> copy, you can DM me at my social media or my website and then just give me your shipping address and you can just Venmo me $5 and then the proceeds will go to the the two orgs in Atlanta. There you go. There you go. Well, let's uh, let's talk about now uh, your upcoming book. Um, Come Clean uh, won the Felix Polak Prize in Poetry. So first of all, congrats on that. Um, and, and secondly, what has that experience been like winning a, po a, a full <laughs> manuscript poetry prize? <laughs> It's been wild. I think um, just I was doing the math. I was doing the math of like winning it. I did like this math here of like the percentage of me winning the actual prize. And it was like I had a 0.21 chance or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? But I think I um, there's a lot of things that like they don't tell you that you have to worry about. Um, like I learned a hard lesson about permissions, mm. actually. You know, like you can use an epigraph or lines of poetry. And usually if it's like one or two from someone, it's fine. Um, but I learned, cause I, like I said, Mitski is a big influence on my, on my first book. I learned that like, if you use song lyrics, that's like, you have to get, they'll like, highly advise you to get permissions. And I had a whole cento, uh, which used like other people's lines. I had a whole cento, cento poem based off of Mitski lyrics mm. or Mitski song titles. Mm. And then I had to like ask permission for like 13 song titles. And they were like, this is X amount of dollars. I was like, oh, okay. And then <laughs> we're cutting that poem. Like, <laughs> that anymore. Um, but that I ended up using some of the book prize money to buy at least one song. And the cool thing is that once you buy rights to a song, you can yeah. use the lyrics any way you can so i could use like i have like 20 poems of just those lyrics that's the next chapbook mitski but it's kind of cool because like i'm a big fan of mitski so it's kind of cool to support her in this way like own like the rights to a song it's kind of like owning stock and like um gamestop or something 
We'll tweet at Misky and just be like, yo, give my man the, the <laughs> give him the clearance. Yo, he's writing poems. Give him carte blanche. He's spreading the Mitski word. That's right. <laughs> Come on. Um, I forgot which act outro it was in whatever rap album, but it was like the it was an ad lib of the like, oh, did the did the sample clear? Did the sample clear or something? Mm. I forgot if that, if that was chance or not. But that's how I felt. I felt like I was trying to sample. I was trying to clear samples for a rap song. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, my question about Come Clean coming out in October. Y'all need to go get it. Um, what's some of the differences you've seen in like this manuscript versus the chat book, like uh, in terms of theme or in terms of just how you feel about it? Um, I think for the chat book, I knew that the American Luke bot. American Loop for my mother had to be in this like little chapbook format mm -hmm. because when I wrote the American Luke but I knew that like it was for a very specific like uh, theme right because all most of the American Luke bots are steps of a recipe and mm -hmm. the recipe's for tick call so it's all like this is almost a big recipe poem a uh, big recipe book um, but I knew that I didn't want to make a whole book of it and I knew that for the forthcoming book, I knew that it was going to be way more experimental and way more um, heavy. So I knew that like it was had to be a completely separate thing. And because it's heavy, and I had to flesh out a lot of the concepts for the book. And that's mm -hmm. why like the poems in that book are meant to be a full length. Um, but yeah, I think writing come clean that was like that was my mfa thesis so i i was lucky to have a great thesis committee mm -hmm. and they helped me a lot with the poems um i'm really proud of it because i think it shows a lot of like y'all were saying like the the uh subtle control i have in in my writing and i think that the concept of come clean which is heavily based off like this idea of like one, come clean, like tell the truth, you know, come clean, like actually cleaning. There's a lot of like themes of like organization and like neatness and tidiness in the book. And so there are poems where like it's very controlled and very like uh, sleek, but then there's poems where like it gets messy. I'm very excited about to show both like the, the neat side and the messy side um, in terms of like visual lines on the space and in terms of just like emotion and like themes. Mm, I love that. So super excited for when that comes out in October, yes. right? From the University of Wisconsin. Let me check, check my notes here. <laughs> University of Wisconsin Press. Uh, big congratulations to you on that one and can't wait to read that as well as get a handle on your chat book. I just, I just have one more question. Uh, okay. And this is, this is, this is serious. Okay. Um, now we already here's ready. Get yeah. <laughs> um, on the subject of recipes, we already kind of like excluded an entire state from claiming this. Uh, so maybe just in the city of Houston, where is the best place to get crawfish? Because I, I I have my favorites. I lived there for a while, <laughs> but I want to know your favorites. <laughs> here's the thing, everyone, because of like. Netflix shows and stuff. Everyone goes to crawfish and noodles, which is fine. Crawfish and noodles is great. It's it's. I mean, it's, it has its purpose. It's kind of expensive, to my, in my opinion. That's flavorful. 
But my place to go to, or my family and friends like to go to, is in the Hong Kong city market. It's in the mall. It's called Crawfish Cafe. And it's like right in the random, like dark shrouded corner of the Hong Kong city mall on Bel Air Boulevard. I love it. And it, has, it's sway cheaper. It has like five different like spice flavors you can put in the bag. Mm. Put corn in it, put sausage in it. Um, and they have amazing, amazing like, sp like spice Cajun fries or something. Mm. Because mm. before before we went live tonight, we already decided that Viet Cajun crawfish is way better than traditional Southern wow. crawfish. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> facts are facts, America. Facts are facts. Okay. When I came to Mississippi, we had, there was a crawfish boil for free in my apartment complex. I got there and I was like, "What is there's there's like nothing. It's like it's just it's like rubber. There's nothing on this crawfish. There's no garlic. Where's the there's garlic? No garlic? Yeah, <laughs> no flavor." Yeah. <laughs> There you go. I love I, going on Mississippi and be like, Via Crawfish is better. Texas Crawfish is better. <laughs> <laughs> I will, uh, next time I'm in Houston, I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, up until then, I think 88 Boiling was, was kind of mm -hmm. my favorite place. S similar area over on that side of Bel Air. But, um, is that hmm, the one with the wild parking lot? Yes, yes. <laughs> the parking lot that makes no sense. You're like, where's the entrance? <laughs> yes. First time I rolled up on that place, I was like, it, what? <laughs> well, any hoozle. That's. I think that's a fantastic place to end this conversation. I'm like feeling homey. I want to go to Houston. All of a sudden, we're gonna have crawfish uh, in the near future. Uh, but thank you. It is crawfish season. It's National Poetry Month. It's crawfish season. I feel a poem coming. <laughs> uh, and not a crawfish poem, a poem by you. So if you could do us uh, the favor of just uh, closing us out with one more poem, that would be fantastic. Of course. Thank you for having me. It was great talking with y'all and great to show a little Spurs Rockets rivalry at the beginning and to nerd out on poetry. And like, it was great to show my formula. Um, but yeah, thank you all for listening. Everyone tuning in. I will read this poem. I think just because we were talking about it and it makes sense. And um, yeah, it's after I was mistaken for the stripper while delivering barbecue to an all-white bachelorette party. Also in my forthcoming book, Come Clean. One, if I had a stripper name, it would be Pork Loins. Marinated in my mother's seasoning, I am mostly bone, but my butt is meaty. My neck is long, but you can still love me if you want a brisket. In the eventual end, it will be my own doing. If I had a dollar bill for every human who wanted to see me naked, I would still be paying loans back. Being wanted was never simmered. I am the lamb's wool and the wolf crying beneath thin skin. Lick between my ribs in rich blandness. I am best served with oyster sauce. Two. And there I stood, a bag of meat, head in the crosshairs, unknown terrain, door closing behind, young deer in the trenches, stay motionless, don't make the first move, kindled fire, feet too warm, apple between the teeth, Arrow pointed to the navel, knives and forks and forks and stomachs, lack of fat, 
sucked bones, upside down, blood draining, unconsciousness, serpent at my throat, boiling rice, serpent in my throat, not clean, serpent down my throat. Three, is this what being a sacrifice smells like? 26 jewel studded cowboy boots circle me, tongues glistening in the spur of heat. Thank you. Applause, 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 applause. And I am both uh, mortified and hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you so much for joining us here uh, for this past hour, Josh. It's been a fantastic conversation. Uh, Your work is phenomenal. Um, I know we have it displayed on screen for everybody to see, but for anybody that's listening to the podcast after this live, uh, can you please tell people like where they can find you, where they can find your work, all of that fun stuff? Yeah, so um, my social media is the same, Twitter and Instagram. It's JoshuaWin03. Um, my Venmo Cash App is the same, <laughs> JoshuaWin03. Um, you can find my publications and you can find a link to buy my chapbook um, on my website at joshua-win.com. Um, and if you want a signed copy, you can DM me on Instagram or Twitter and I'll get your shipping address and I'll send you a signed copy. Love it. Love it. Richard, you're muted. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for being here, Josh. Greatly appreciate it. I'll just say personally, I've I've really uh, just been lucky and fortunate to see you just over the years just develop. And it's it's I'm I, Texas. We rep for each other. H Town, y'all the bomb. So salute to you. Uh, much appreciated for coming on the show today. Thank you, thank you for having me. And also, I want to say earlier we talk about community. I'm glad that like y'all are still like part of my life and my like literary life. And it's great to know that I, when I come home to Texas, I know that y'all will be there and I can always like tell y'all to like, still keep the love of poetry alive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, thank, I, I'm appreciative to y'all. And there's a lot of love for you in the in the comments coming through. So <laughs> well-deserved, well-deserved. Joshua, thank you. Thank you, Josh. Oh, Rooster. Yes, sir. You've officially kicked off National Poetry Month. I feel good. I'm glad that I was able to be here to help with that. Yeah. <laughs> how, are you, how are you feeling? Wow. Um, like I said, it's it's uh, so just personally for me, like uh, as someone who is good friends with outspoken being and a lot of and deep and 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 fluent one you know individuals who who are great at cultivating uh the houston youth poetry slam scene as someone who's, who's worked with young poets here in san antonio um and and just you know this as someone who who has ran a poetry venue we see so many people come in and in and then just go and you know brilliant people uh, who just life happens, they, they go on their own way. And and Josh was always just one of those fixtures where it's just like, oh, you know, Josh is here, cool. And like, you know, hearing praise about, oh, Josh is dope. I'm like, okay, cool, and watching him. And so just to see the 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 the, the, the growth and maturation of, of his craft is just, I'm lucky. 
So yeah, that that's that's actually you know still uh, a uh, synonym of that word is what I was thinking. Just fortunate, fortunate to uh, be able to see this kind of like growth and trajectory for people that started in in the youth poetry scene. Fortunate that the youth poetry scene even became a thing because like we talked about it earlier we're like you and me like i didn't find out about spoken word or slam or anything like that until i was in college like much later and um you know kids these days like you and i do a lot of work with you know um with youth and uh in the middle schools and high schools and whatnot like kids these days are really fortunate to be able to have that kind of like exposure be able to see themselves be able to hear their stories um outside of what is traditionally taught in academic and um clearly the result of that kind of influence is amazing writers like josh uh and other uh people that kind of came up in the youth circuit that are now sharing their voices um and, and too much accolade, much well-deserved accolade. So yes. yes, lucky, fortunate, blessed, and highly favored. Absolutely. So let's thank some people and get on out of here. Um, so <laughs> thank you so much to the audience who has stuck around tonight. Uh, thank you for all the comments that you threw uh, at us and at Josh. Uh, this show is live for a reason because we believe that you need to be part of this conversation. So thank you for being part of that conversation. And thank you to our production crew, Dominique, in the background, taking care of all the technical stuff, and Chris Conde for producing our theme music. Absolutely. And then don't forget to follow us on IG and Twitter, at Words and Shh. Um, you can also watch past episodes on YouTube. If you find us on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. Uh, that really helps us out. And on wherever podcasts you, you know, look for, we're there too. So we, we out there. So go back and look at some, uh, get, get some past episodes. Uh, Josh even mentioned our conversation with John Sands that happened a few weeks ago. Like it's out there. Uh, and next week we have. The one, the only, none other than Asia Samson is coming through in the Words and Shit studio. We're super excited. Uh, one of the most booked um, spoken word artists in uh, this country is coming through. And we're going to be talking about, uh, shit, I'm sure we're going to be talking about like being a touring performing artist in COVID for one. And then just talking about his amazing work. So, Absolutely. So thank you to the audience. Thank you so much to me for uh, letting me fill in. Uh, maybe I'll be back some other time whenever you need a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> whenever I need a vacation, right? Rocky should be back next week. Highly yeah. rested and ready to go. Until then, you all uh, stay safe out there. Thank you so much. Have a good night. <laughs>